Jesus, you said in your word, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And Father, we thank you for the privilege to feast upon your word, to walk in and by your spirit. I thank you, Father, that you are raising up a day, raising up a people in this day and in this hour who are walking in the balance of the word and of the spirit. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name that you are raising up in this day and in this hour disciples of the Lord, servants and handmaidens of the Lord, totally committed, totally sold out to the things of God, totally dedicated to the kingdom of God, the government of heaven upon this earth, whose anthem in this earth is, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. So now, Father, we come before you this morning to receive from your word. I thank you that you not only teach us, but you train us. You lead, you guide, you direct. And so, Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that the spirit of wisdom and revelation is being made manifest in this place. I thank you for it, Father. I thank you that your people don't just hear my voice, but they hear the voice of the Master. And Father, we just thank you for it. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Cindy, turn me down just a little bit. Y'all can be seated. Everybody okay this morning? Everybody good? All right. Thank you, Lord. I want you to go with me once again to two places. Go with me to John's Gospel, chapter 8. And also go ahead and look up Matthew, chapter 16. Look both of those up, if you will. John's Gospel, chapter 8. Matthew, chapter 16. We began last week talking about the discipleship of Peter. And we're going to continue talking about that this morning. John chapter 8. Thank you, Lord. Read, we're going to read very fam, a very familiar passage. Jesus is talking to the crowd. And as He's speaking, as He's preaching the Word, He begins to, he begins to sense in His Spirit that faith is beginning to rise up on the inside of the people that he's ministering to. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word. Cindy, turn me down just a little more, please. And as he begins to sense in his spirit what's going on, 
he addresses those people that are beginning to believe on him. Verse 30. And he spake these wor- as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As I've said to you, as I said to you last week, that word continue is the same Greek word translated abide in John 15. Where Jesus said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, John 15, 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So this is a word that refers to being consistent and being constant. If you continue, if you're constant, if you, if you show consistency in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. It is a word that carries with it commitment. If you're committed to my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, one of the things that we brought out, and I want to bring it up to you again, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My Word, then are you My disciples indeed. I shared with you last week, and let me bring it up to you again, there is a vast difference between being a believer and being a disciple. They're not the same thing. Obviously, in order to be part of the, part of the uh, kingdom of God, to be part of the, the church family, you have to be a believer. You will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God hath raised Him from the dead. You shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You have to be a believer to get in this thing. <laughs> Isn't that right? But you don't just stay a believer. As you continue in the Word, then you become a disciple. And so there is a vast difference between the two. And as I said to you last week, the foundation of discipleship is commitment. The foundation of discipleship is commitment. And the foundation of commitment is decision. And those of you that have been coming here a long time, I've, I've said this over and over again, you don't live by your feelings, you live by your decisions. That's right. Now, <clears throat> one of the things we got into last week, let me say this to you. There's a lot of different ideas about what discipleship is and what discipleship is not. And a lot of times we make things far more complicated than what they really are. And as I shared with you last week, one of the things that discipleship is not is regimentation. Regimentation says... I get up at 4 o'clock every morning and I pray till 5 and then I get in the Word till 6 and then I do this till 7 and then I do this till 8 o'clock and I have this schedule and I go through this and I do this on a daily routine. That is not necessarily discipleship, that is regimentation. And if you're not sensitive to the Spirit of God and you don't listen to God, your regimentation will turn into religion. And that's a very dangerous thing. And what happens, and the Lord gave me this definition of religion about 
25, 30 years ago. He said, religion is flesh's attempt to control flesh. And you can, you can come to a place thinking that you're walking in discipleship when actually what you're doing is trying to control your flesh by the strength of your flesh. And it's not discipleship, it becomes behavior modification. Discipleship is something that is far different. Discipleship basically is, boils down to this. But discipleship is listening to God and doing what God says when He says do it. It's really not that hard. It's listening to God and doing what God says when God says do it. I shared this with you last week that uh, when I was at Rama right before graduation, we had Brother Copeland come in and minister, and we had a, had a question and answer time where the students were allowed to ask him questions. And in different ways, basically every question boiled down to how much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend in the Word? How much time do you spend doing this? How much time do you spend doing that? And so on. And finally, Brother Copeland answered it this way. He said, I listen to God and do what God says. If God says go to the office, I go to the office. If God says get over there on that rug and pray for eight hours, I get on that rug and pray for eight hours. That, my brother and sister, is discipleship. That's listening to God, doing what God says, when God says do it. I was thinking about this yesterday. You guys are familiar with, well, he changed his name, but he used to be Paul Yonggi Cho. And he changed his name to David. Y'all familiar with Dr. Cho? A Dr. Cho. We have a friend that's Korean in San Angelo. She calls him a Dr. Joe. A Dr. Joe... A little Korean man, but he pastored our largest church in the whole world. <laughs> Powerful man of God. And I was thinking about Dr. Cho. Listen, that guy is involved with things that just, just blow your mind. Just You can't even think. He's right now, his church is pushing two million people. Man, there are whole countries that don't have two million people in them. And he's got a church of nearly two million people. You imagine that? And I was listening to a video, this was back in 2012. They're, they're so big that they have to multiply. They have to break off and form other churches and, and, and so on. And uh, he was talking about he said, we're so large, we have to, we have to uh, become separate churches. So he started basically taking segments of his church and putting them under associate pastors. And he'd tell him, he'd say, all right, now here's, here's your group. Now you go across town and, and you start a work and you're, un, you're part of this ministry and you're under the auspices of this church. But you go, you, you go do what God tells you to do. And he basically, he, he would, I mean, he would, he would set them up. He would, you know, supply startup and funds and all that kind of stuff. And just basically have another work across town or across the nation or whatever. <laughs> I was listening. To, this was in 2012. He said, we get so large, we have to, we have to multiply. So I give... A people to my associate, I say, you go start church. 
he started one associate, one associate off with a church of 12,000 people. Here, you take this 12,000, you go start church. <laughs> Woo! Can you imagine that? Well, back before he, back when he was probably a measly 100,000 back in the 80s, <laughs> somebody asked him one time, said, Dr. Cho, how, and, and you know, 100,000 or however many it was back then, it was the largest church in the world then. Somebody asked him, said, Dr. Cho, how do you build the largest church in the world? He said, I pray and I obey. <laughs> That's discipleship. I pray and I obey. The next question that the guy asked him was, Dr. Cho, you've got the largest church in the world. How do you handle criticism? Because he was being very highly criticized. You get successful, the devil will see to it. Isn't that right? He said, how do you handle your critics? And he took and he flicked his shoulder like that and he said, a mouse, like a mouse on elephant's back. <laughs> so, but he said, I pray and I obey. That's discipleship. It's that simple. It's discipleship, again, it's not regimented. It has, it has a flow to it. You get up in the morning and you listen to God and you say, God, whatever you want done, that's what we want to do. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. That is the anthem of discipleship. I hear and I obey. It's that simple. There's a scripture in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. Samuel was, was actually bringing a rebuke to Saul for his disobedience. And because of Saul's disobedience, he eventually lost his anointing as king and eventually lost the kingdom. And in 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said this. Said, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken. Now that's going to become a key. To hear, to hearken, that's going to become a theme oh, this week and next week. To hear than the fat of rams. And here's a, here's a side thought that's a whole nother message, actually. You may have met somebody like this. We've met them through the years. There are, there are people in the body of Christ that hide their lack of discipleship and obedience with sacrifice. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother message. Again, it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken or to hear than the fat of rams. And that must become your anthem. I hear and I obey God. Now, let's go over to Matthew chapter 16. We started looking at this last week, and we'll go back and, and review some things that we've said and go 
into some new things this morning. Verse 13 of Matthew 16 says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say you are John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I said to you last week, <clears throat> and and Carl came in this morning talking about reading out of uh what was it first and second Peter apart from the apostle Paul there probably was not another man in the new testament that was more transformed than Peter I mean if you read you read what a goofball he was in the gospels and then you go over and read his letters They're two completely different people. Two very different people. And I'm not, you know, I'm not taking away from the new birth. I'm not taking away from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Certainly those were major factors in His transformation. But there's a lot of people born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost, that are just as flaky as a goose. They never become disciples. They never grow up and they never mature. So... While certainly those two things were factors in the life of Peter, there were some other things involved that the Lord took him through that caused him to become the man of God that God intended for him to be. Now, notice this. Jesus in verse 15 said, But whom say ye that I am? And and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. In other words, you didn't get this through your five physical senses. You didn't get this from what you could see or touch or taste or smell or hear. But you receive this by revelation from the Father. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, he was saying, You have heard from my Father, Simon, son of Jonas. Now the thing that's interesting about that, there's actually kind of a play on words here, because the name Simon means to hear. Blessed art thou, hearing one, son of Jonas, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You have heard from heaven, hearing one. You have heard from heaven, Simon, son of Jonas. But now watch. 
Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee. Now, you, you may not think so, but that word also is, is very, very important. Because in Jesus, in using the word also, did two things. First of all, in using the word also, he equated himself with the Father. Because he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee. I'm going to add to what the Father had just, has just said. So, it's important because Jesus equated Himself with the Father in using the word also. It's also important because Jesus was telling Peter, you received a revelation from the Father, now I'm going to add to that. Now that's the way revelation works, my brother and sister. Line upon line, precept upon precept. God will show you one thing, and it'll lead to another, and it'll lead to another, and it'll lead to another. And so he said, you've received a revelation from the Father. And I say also unto you, I'm going to add to that revelation. I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter. Thou art Peter. Peter. Now that's very interesting because in this conversation you need to contrast the two thou arts. Because Jesus said, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus turned around and said, yeah, and thou art Peter. As I said to you last week, when you find out who Jesus is, then you'll begin to find out who you are. Thou art the Christ. Well, I say also unto you that thou art Peter. Now, the word Peter, I shared this with you last week also. The word Peter is the Greek word Petros. P-E-T-R-O-S. And the Greek word Petros refers to An individual, a small, solid, individual stone. And Jesus, in calling him Peter, was saying to him, Peter, or Simon, son of Jodas, you are Peter. You are solid, you are stable, and you are secure. Now that's interesting, because when you go through the Gospels... When you read down through there, you don't see anybody that's more unsolid, more insecure, and more unstable than Peter. So Jesus, now this is, here's part of the contrast. You couldn't tell who Jesus was by looking at him. That's why, that's why Jesus said, my father revealed that. Now, Jesus preached that he was the Christ. But hey, (laughs) so did a lot of other people. There was a lot of people, particularly back in Jesus' day, running around calling themselves the Messiah. 
And the reason they were doing it was so that they could get enough people behind them and enough people supporting them that they could overthrow Rome. Jesus came along preaching that He was the Christ and the Messiah, and He didn't look like what the Jews expected. He didn't look like a Messiah, and the only way you could tell that He was the Christ was by revelation. But now here, Jesus is reciprocating. You didn't know who Jesus was just by looking at Him. You had to get it by revelation. You couldn't tell that Simon was Peter by looking at Him. He was unstable. He was insecure. He was not solid. But Jesus said, You're Peter. In other words, Jesus was speaking to Simon by revelation. You just, Peter, you just told me who I am. Now I'm going to tell you who you are. As I said to you last week, Jesus in Mark 4, 16 and 17, Jesus talking about the sower sows the word, said, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony, (laughs) stony ground. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Well, there's Peter. And have no root in themselves. There's Peter again. Actually, Simon. And so endure, but for a time. We won't get into it this week. I thought we would, but he didn't endure. And have no root in themselves, and so endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Hey, that is a snapshot of Simon, son of Jonas. The guy was, fla- was a flake. He would run at the drop of the hat. He would talk loud and long about how committed he was and how sold out he was. But you let a little trouble hit. You let a little temptation, a little persecution hit. Baby, he is out the door. (laughs) We were, back in the 70s, we were uh, tutored by a man by the name of Charles Neiman. Charles is now pastor of a church in El Paso of about... 20,000 compared to Cho, a measly 20,000. But I heard, I heard him on the internet the other day. <laughs> he used a phrase I kind of like. <laughs> he said, buck up, buttercup. <laughs> I kind of like that. I may adopt that. But Peter was buttercup, man. He was out the door in a heartbeat. But... Jesus was releasing his faith in Peter. Now, Jesus had done that from the very beginning. The first time Jesus ever laid eyes on Peter, John 1.42 says, And he brought him, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonas, you shall be called Cephas which is by interpretation a stone. Cephas is Aramaic, Petros is Greek. But from the very beginning, Jesus released His faith that this man would become the man of God that God intended for him to be. Now we'll get to this in just a second, but at at this point in Matthew 16, there is something very critical that happens, and we'll get to it in just a second. But I want to address this here. 
Notice in verse 18, he said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, you may want to take a note of the word rock. The word rock in the Greek is the word petra, P-E-T-R-A. The word petra refers to a huge massive rock like the rock of Gibraltar or the Rocky Mountains, something to that effect. When Jesus used the word rock, when he used the word Petra or Petra, he was not talking about Peter. That's a different word, Petros. But he said, on this rock I will build my church. Now, what is the rock? Well, I gave you four things last week. Let me give them to you again. Number one, the rock is Jesus Himself. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, the Apostle Paul said, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the rock, number one, is Jesus Himself. Number two, the rock is the revelation of who Jesus is and our faith in that revelation. No man comes into the church without bowing his knee, like I said to you earlier, and recognizing Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and confessing Him as Lord over their life. So the rock can also refer to the revelation of who Jesus is and our faith in that revelation. Number three, the rock can also refer to Jesus' revelation of us and who we are in Christ Jesus. That basically was what he was revealing to Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. When you begin to find out who you are in Christ Jesus, God builds on that. Jesus builds on that. So again, it can refer to Jesus' revelation of us and who we are in Christ Jesus. And number four, it can refer to Jesus' faith in us. We got into that last week. Now, all of that has been reviewed. Now we're about to branch out into some other things here. Well, no, not quite. (laughs) Verse 18, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, literal Greek powers of death, shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I've I've looked at that for close to 40 years. And I've I've never come up with anything that satisfied my spirit about what Jesus was talking about within the context of the conversation. Because... Jesus didn't give Peter some sort of special dispensation of authority. I know keys in Scripture refer to authority, but that's not, 
that's really not where Jesus was coming from. Hold your place there in Matthew 16. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 6. He said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Now, here's, here's, here's our diving board. Here's where we're about to branch into something a little different. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 20. Let me remind you, we're talking about binding and loosing here for a minute. Verse 20 says, My son, keep, my, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them. Bind them continually upon thy heart, and tie them about thy neck. When you go, it shall lead thee. When you sleep, it shall keep thee. And when you awake, it shall talk with thee. What? That commandment. Whatever you bind yourself to will lead you, guide you, and direct you. Verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Now, you go back over to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said to Peter, whatever you, bound on earth, be, whatever you bind on earth be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That, that phrase, listen, that phrase, binding and loosing, refers to commitment. You listening? It refers to commitment. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. Heaven says, he's speaking to Simon, he says, Heaven says, you're Peter. Heaven says, you are solid. Heaven says, you are stable. You may not be acting like it, but this is who heaven says you are. Now, Peter, you have the choice. You can bind yourself to that, or you can loose yourself from it. In other words, you don't have to receive that identity if you don't want to. You can stay Simon, son of Jonas, or you can become the man of God that God intended for you to be. Your choice. This is something we'll get over into later, I hope. But let me just say to you that nobody can force you to be a disciple. Jesus didn't force Peter. All he said was, here's what God wants you to become. Now you have the choice. You can either take the path or not. Nobody can force you to be a disciple. Discipleship is always... I capitalize that in my notes. Always. It's always a decision that is self-imposed. I can't make you a disciple. Nobody can make you a disciple. It is always a discipline and a decision that is self-imposed. 
In other words, if you're going to be a disciple, you have to bind yourself to that. Your wife can't make you a disciple. Your husband can't make you a disciple. You have to decide to do it. And at the other end of the spectrum, nobody has the authority to make you a disciple. This is between you and God. Whatever you bind, heaven says this is who you are. You bind yourself to it, you can have it. You loose yourself from it, you don't get it. Now, what I want to talk to you about this morning is binding and loosing. Now, it'll take me a little bit to get around this mountain. Are you willing to stick with me? It's going to be interesting, I think. Go with me, please, to Luke chapter 24 Luke chapter Luke chapter 24, notice here in verse 25, or let's read verse 24. Jesus has been raised from the dead. How much time I got? Huh? Woohoo, I'm good. Verse 24. <clears throat> well, verse 25. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he manifests. He's talking to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, all right? says, Then said he unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, don't, <laughs> don't read that religiously. A lot of times people read the, the words of Jesus without any emotion. I mean, Jesus didn't show up and say, <laughs> O fools and slow of heart to believe. No, he was teed off. He was upbraiding them. You fools! You slow of heart! He's chewing them out. (laughs) Oh, Oh, fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? Take a note of the word ought. You ever heard any teaching on ought? We ought to. (laughs) Ought. Take a note of that. We'll come back to it. And go down here to verse 44. And verse 44, this is another appearance of Jesus. And he says this. He's teaching the disciples. Verse 44 says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written, take note of this, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. In using that terminology, he just basically summarized the whole of the Old Testament. Then opened he their understanding. How did he do that? He taught them. 
Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, now watch this, Thus it is written, it is written, and thus it behooved. Take a note of the word behooved. And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Now, I want you to take note of the word behooved. The Greek word that is used there is pronounced dei. It's like the word day with a short I on the end of it. Dei. Dei. When you go to Strong's Concordance, that word dei refers, it defines it as this. That which is necessary as binding. That which is necessary as binding. In other words, Jesus was saying, this had to be done. In fact, it's also translated as the word must. This is necessary as binding. Listen, Jesus was not bound to the cross. He was bound to the Word. He said, it is written, thus it behooved Christ. He was not bound to the cross. He was bound to the Word. And listen, and binding Himself to the Word, He became who the Father said He was. I'm going to say that again. Jesus did not bind Himself to the cross. He bound Himself to the Word. In binding Himself to the Word, He was bound to who the Father said He was. And it goes back to the Scripture I quoted when I prayed earlier. Jesus said, this is a Messianic Scripture, Then said I, Psalm 40 and verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. He was compelled to do what he did because he bound himself to the word. Thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise again the third day. It's the same word translated ought in verse 27. Ought not Christ day to have suffered these things. This is necessary as binding. I was looking at this yesterday. I came across something I think you might find interesting, particularly if you're a prayer. I started thinking about the word ought. You guys are familiar with Romans 8.26. Sometimes these side roads help us as good as anything, as well as anything. Verse 26 <clears throat> says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. It's the same Greek word. That which is necessary as binding. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for concerning let me phrase it this way, concerning those things we're bound to. 
But the Spirit Himself, itself or Himself, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This, 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 is, this, this answered a question for me yesterday that I've had in my spirit for many, many years, and I've taught this, but this really confirmed to me. Praying in, you can pray in the Spirit over anything. I mean over anything. But I've noticed this because Cindy and I get prayer requests all the time <clears throat> over different things. And, you know, whatever we get, we'll pray over it. We'll pray the Word. We'll pray in the Spirit. But I've noticed in particular when I'd pray in the Spirit over certain things. Well, let me, let, let me illustrate. This will help. Um, sometimes, particularly with the webcast, um, we'll get prayer requests on that Facebook page. And it'll be, <laughs> I want you to pray for my cousin's uncle's mother on my sister brother's side because of toe fungus or something. And, okay, we'll pray. That's not an issue. But I've noticed, particularly when I would pray in the Spirit over something that is, for lack of a better term, distant, I knew in my spirit that I really didn't carry that much of authority where that situation is concerned. I didn't mind praying. But I realized that, like, for example, if somebody that, that is that is connected to us whether coming to church here or the webcast or whatever if they say please pray for me or my immediate family or whatever i noticed as i prayed in the spirit i, I actually i could sense that i carried a lot more authority in that realm why because i was i was bound more to them do you follow that and so i don't i don't yeah connection that's the word I don't, I don't, again, we don't mind praying for whoever, whatever, but we, I've noticed that the more distant that connection is, the less authority is there. So it's just something for you to, to think about and to consider because, it is, again, it's connected to that, that binding. It's, it's, it's related to connection. Okay? Now, Something that I've had in my spirit for a long time, and, I, and I'm about to go around the mountain here kind of the long way around, but just stay with me. I, I just made an observation many, many years ago. When you, when you look at the history of Israel, there are two primary examples where the nation as a whole was bound up. They were, first of all, in slavery in Egypt. Secondly, in their history, the second major confinement was in Babylon. Those two. I saw this years ago. And as Derek Prince used to say, you just put it in the pending file. <laughs> you don't know what to do with it. But you go back 
Every time that the Bible talked about Israel being in Egypt, it said they were in bondage. Every time it talked about Israel being in Babylon, it didn't say they were in bondage. It said they were in captivity. So I knew in my spirit, I began to realize from looking at the scripture, there is a, there's a difference between being in bondage and being in captivity. Now, another thing is Derek, that Derek Prince used to say, as I understand it. So I'm going to give this to you as I understand it. I could be wrong. But as I understand it, listen. Bondage refers to being restricted in some way through no fault of your own or is self-imposed. Bondage refers to being restricted in some way through no fault of your own or is self-imposed. Israel wasn't in bondage in Egypt because of something they did wrong. It was a persecution. In fact, they were in the will of God. Right? Captivity refers to being restricted in some way because of mistakes and failures on our part. Captivity refers to mistake captivity refers to being restricted in some way because of mistakes and failures on our part. The nation of Israel went into Babylonian captivity because of their sin. Right? Now, when you go through the scripture, for example, you are familiar with Luke 4:18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach what? Deliverance to the captives. And He's talking about delivering people from demonic power. People that wound up under demonic power because of their own decisions. Okay? But yet at the same time, Jesus ministered to a woman in Luke 13 that had been bowed over for 18 years. And he said this about her. And ought, <laughs> ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound. In other words, she wasn't in that position because of something she did. Whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Now when you begin to go through the scripture, you find out there are some things that the Bible refers to as bondages. Sin, fear, corruption, fear of death. Those things are referred to as bondages. You know why? Because there are things that we have to deal with in this earth, but we weren't responsible for bringing them here. Adam did. Right? Now, another thing, this is kind of interesting. The Bible calls the law 
bondage. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made, has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Israel was in bondage to the law. But the law was a necessity. It wasn't because of sin. They, they were under the law because that law provided an umbrella from the curse to have a blessed people to provide an avenue for Messiah to come into the earth. But the law is referred to as a bondage. Now, at the same time, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. Verse 26, That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him and his will. Now, why are they captive? Because they got in that mess on their own. Strife opened the door for Satan to take them captive. Okay? So there is a difference between being in bondage and being in captivity. Now, I went to Thayer's Greek Dictionary and I looked at the word dai. And it's spelled in Greek, D-E-I, Dei, sorry, Dei. And in Thayer's Greek Dictionary, they said there is a word that is related to it, Deo. D-E-O, Deo, Dei, Deo. <laughs> Deo, yeah, I thought about that. Where's my Johnny Mathis 8-track? Anyway, um... Deo is the word Jesus used in addressing Peter. Whatsoever you bind, Deo. That word Deo refer, means to bind, to be in bonds, to knit, to tie, or to wind. Now, I want you to get, listen, I've gone around this mountain to bring you to this point. That word deo is also used in dealing with the demoniac of Gadara. Mark chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, it says this about him. It says, Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could deo, could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound, Deo, with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Isn't that interesting? No man could bind him. Was he in captivity? Absolutely. He was in captivity to that demonic spirit. But in being under the captivity of that demonic spirit, no man could bind him. You with me? Okay. Listen to this statement. 
if you don't bind yourself to the Lord in discipleship, you will find yourself loosed into captivity. Let me say that again. If you don't bind yourself to the Lord in discipleship, you will find yourself loosed into captivity. That was, that was, the, that was the, de- the decision that Jesus presented to Peter. Heaven has said this is who you are. You can bind yourself to it. You can loose yourself from it. But if you loose yourself from what God has called you to be and what God has called you to do, you will find yourself under demonic influence in some way. I um, <laughs> There's an individual that, <clears throat> if I were to mention their name, everybody would know who, the, who, the, who it was. This is a person that we've known for many years. They live here in Menard. I have never met an individual that was more non-committed to anything or anybody other than themselves than this individual. It's uncanny. I've never seen anybody like this person. They're not committed to anything or anybody. They're not married. They, they, They... take no responsibility for anything and when you try to talk to this person about commitment you know what they call themselves you know what they say you know what their response is well i i don't do that i'm a free spirit it's exactly right i'm a free spirit no you're not free You're not free. You're in bondage. No, excuse me. You're in captivity. You're in captivity. And the thing about it is, this person may be loosed from the standpoint of they're not committed to anything or anybody. And people like that are very frustrating to people like me and Cindy because we're committed people. And, um, well, I won't go there. It's an interesting thing that when you have somebody like that, I was thinking about this, and people that, that they're not tied to anything or anybody. They're totally self-centered. They're totally focused on themselves and they commit to... This individual I'm thinking of, they're not committed to any church. They're not under any spiritual authority. They have no leadership in their life. Now, I will tell you, this person used to come. They didn't come to... They might show up about here maybe once a year and walk in the door like they were, you know, like they were really doing us a big favor for showing up. But what they would do, this, this person has no job. They have money coming in from inheritance or whatever. And this person would just drive around town. Just, just drive around. 
Either that or go on a trip. Just drive around. And what they do is drive around town and think. Just drive around and think. How do you know? Because what that person would do, they'd drive around town and think. And then they'd have questions. So what they would do, they'd see my pickup here at church and come by and stop and come plant their fanny in my office asking theological questions that didn't mean anything while I'm trying to work. And finally, I made this person mad enough that they didn't come back and I rejoiced and it was fine. I loosed them. Well, what happened was... They, and this person did this more to Cindy than me, but both of us, we'd be working, we'd be trying to get things done. I just want to ask you a question. I retract the one I asked you this morning. Kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're committed. I'm actually giving you a spiritual truth. That goes back to, I'm not obligated really to people that aren't committed. Did you know that? So, anyway, what I did to, to tick this person off, I was in the middle of, of, of having to redo a CD I had preached. And I was redoing the sound, and I was, I was having to meter the thing and really pay attention to it and get it fixed and redigitize it and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm on a timer and so on. Anyway, I'm really focused on this. So... I come out of my office, and as I come out of my office, this person comes through the door. And they don't say, hi, how are you doing, or anything. They come through the door and said, could I ask you a few questions? I'm on my way into the auditorium. They could, can I ask you a few questions? I said, no, and turned around and walked in the door. They never came back. <laughs> this person was highly offended. Well, you're a terrible pastor. Well, this person's a terrible sheep. <laughs> you know? Listen, what is the obligation of a sheep? Follow the shepherd. You got to bind yourself to one. And if you're not bound to a shepherd, you may not be a sheep. Biblically speaking, you may be another animal. You may be a dog, a cow, a pig, or an ass, but you're not a sheep. And you know what? We're not obligated to pastor any other animal other than a sheep. But here's what's dangerous. Here's what's dangerous. Lucille, you know about sheep. A sheep that is by itself in the pasture is one of the most vulnerable creatures on this earth. A sheep that will not bind themselves to a shepherd or to a flock 
will loose themselves to captivity. Are you listening? Now, a lost sheep is another thing. A lost sheep is another thing. A lost sheep is a person that's trying to follow the shepherd and they lost their way. Yeah, you go after them. But a sheep that you're constantly having to chase down in a pickup. So long. Toodaloo. And Cindy and I spent years, particularly in Angelo, and particularly her, spent years chasing down people, trying to get them to come to church. And we finally came to the conclusion, they didn't want to be caught. Now, I'm, I turned 59 in November, I'll turn 60 years old this year, and the truth of the matter is, I don't have enough time left to put up with people that are non-committed. I mean, I just don't. You know, like somebody asked Gloria Copeland one time, said, Sister Copeland, do you believe that these are the last days? She said, I don't know, but I know they're my last days. <laughs> we only got one shot at this. And we don't have a lot of time. But I want to tell you what, that's also true of the body of Christ. But can I also tell you that that spirit, free spirit attitude, I don't have to commit to anything or anybody, I don't have to do anything you say. Anybody here ever hear of the free state of Menard? That spirit pervades. I'll do what I jolly well please. Have at it, hoss. Because I'm not going to chase you. <laughs> Just, I don't have time. But I really think that this is not just a deal of me being 59 years old. I think it has to do with the fact that we're in the last days. And God is calling His people to commitment. I believe that's where we are. Somebody said, how do you commit? Well, have I got, how much time have I got? Huh? Okay. Go quickly to Exodus 21. We've talked about this before, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But Exodus 21, verse 1. says, Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant six years, he shall serve. And in the seventh year, he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master shall... If his master have given him a wife and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be our masters and she shall, he shall go out by himself. And if the servant, listen, if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go free. 
Verse 6, Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, he shall bring him to the door or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear, hearing, through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. That man was marked in his ears. And he said, I could go free. I don't want to go free. He had the option to go free. He didn't want to go free. This wasn't a captivity. This was a bondage. He did it by choice and he became a bond servant. What marked him? I hear the voice of my master. I hear and I obey. I pray and I obey. And over and over again, the apostles referred to themselves as what? Bond servants. It's exactly right. Hallelujah. We're at that place. We're at that place. Now, what I want to do this morning, I want to close out this morning and receive from the communion table. You may not be there yet. <clears throat> you may not be at that place. Ben, I'm ready to commit. I realize I'm preaching to the choir. The people that come here are committed. I know that. Now, I know there are people not here this morning for different reasons, but it's not because they're not committed. It's not because they're home watching Johnny Canales or something on TV. Y'all don't even know who Johnny Canales is, do you? He led a Tehan, he did a hosted a Tejano music show back in the 80s. So they're not home watching Johnny Canales. They're not home playing video games. They're, they're not here for legitimate reasons, but they are they are committed. They're committed to this church. They're committed to this ministry. I tell you what, Cindy and I have been blessed. We have been so blessed with people that have committed themselves to God and to us and to this ministry. So blessed. In fact, I want to share this with you, but I don't want it on CD.